This week on the Iowa Watch Connection, it's traditional at the end of a year to look back at the year just past and to look ahead at the year to come. We're no different. The year 2018 in review and what that means for the new year 2019 is our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. This is the fifth year-end program we've produced in this Iowa Watch Connection series, The Need for Quality, Responsible Journalism in an Age of Random Social Media Posts Has Never Been Stronger. And the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Iowa Watch, is proud to do its part in providing reliable information to you. I spoke last week in Cedar Rapids with the executive director and editor for Iowa Watch, Lyle Muller, about some of the work produced in the past 12 months. Well, first of all, one of the interesting things is even though we don't do regular breaking news like your traditional news outlets, we still touched on the same themes, personal safety, our health, mental health, uh, agriculture, the environment, all of those things. You know, the, the most interesting story I think that we had was written by someone named Andy Kopsa. She is from Iowa. She's a freelance journalist, but she is out in the out in the east coast and she's with the investigative writers workshop and she contacted me and said i've got a story that i'd like you to read and see if you're interested in it and i definitely was and we published it and so and a lot of readers were interested it was about whether or not our sex offender registries are effective enough to stop sex offenders from being immensed in our midst uh, without us knowing it. Her conclusion was they're not effective and here's why. When she was a little girl she would ride a bus and there was this one bus driver who would always be infatuated with her and, and too much infatuated. He ended up becoming a sex offender. He, he said some things inappropriate to her but her parents intervened right away and she thought that that was much more effective than this sort of scatter approach that we take where you publish a picture and name of a sex offender, but whether or not you see it is pretty problematic. For example, you have to look it up on the website. You have to consciously look that up. Who does that every day? Who does that when they move into a neighborhood? Uh, so she talked about how she was one of the lucky ones and compared it to those who weren't lucky. That was a really powerful story and I'm glad Andy reached out to us and allowed us to publish that story. But other stories that we dealt with had to do with how we're dealing with agriculture, uh, how we are dealing with mental health care delivery, how we are dealing with the types of things that make our lives tick, but something just doesn't seem to, to fit quite right. Uh, how are we dealing with the way we spray pesticides and uh, our health, those types of impacts. Over the course of time that Iowa Watch has been generating in-depth journalism, there have been certain themes that seem to come up, and I would suggest it's because there are certain topics that not only are of such importance to Iowans, but of interest to Iowans, and it's variations on some of these themes that we keep going back to, whether it is chemicals and agriculture, whether it is the delivery of health care. Talk a bit about some of these stories that show that we have continuing efforts in some of these areas 
And even though we're making some progress, we certainly haven't resolved all the issues. Well, there are certainly topics that connect with people. So we do those stories because we think there's an interest in it. And also we have to narrow our focus. We only have capacity to do so much. So we are, are interested in the environment and we're interested in health. We're interested in politics and government affairs. And we're interested in consumer and business affairs. Uh, for the most part, those are the areas we're looking at. And in 2019, our hope is to do a lot more with public health. But we had a story written by Molly Hunter about family farms. How do you define a family farm? Because we all talk about how we want to save the family farm, right? The family farm is just this endearing thing, but some of these family farms are owned by large corporations, definitely family-owned, definitely producing food, definitely good for the economy, good for Iowa, good for uh, all of these folks. But when you talk about let's protect the family farm because they're struggling, those farms might not be as struggling as much as what Molly zeroed in on, and that is truly small family farms that are small acreages, but they're organic farmers. They don't use a lot of government uh, handouts, partially because they're not eligible for them. And so it's important to be identified as a family farm because there's an actual governmental definition that then qualifies you for government assistance, crop insurance, uh, the payouts this year. Uh, and then it also qualifies you for the industry groups, the hog farmers, uh, the pork producers, those types of groups. These small organic farmers aren't part of that. They don't, el they don't qualify. They, they just seem to not get into the same game, yet they're those small family farms. And so Molly took a good look at how they get left out, and then what do they do to try to continue? That to me is fascinating in and of itself because, again, as you know, we have an idyllic sense of what the family farm is, quote. And that is really changing in terms of unique, more diverse agriculture products, ways of doing things, that's really what the family farm has become in this part of the 21st century. Yeah, and so you have these community sustainable agriculture groups that produce locally, and you have communities where there are these local agricultural economies, Fairfield, Iowa, the Iowa City area, Des Moines. Unfortunately, I was talking with someone about this uh, recently, and Unfortunately, it seems you have to be in a large metropolitan area or where there are a lot of people because you have to have critical mass. If you're in a small town in Iowa and you say, hey, I sell eggs, and you're selling it in a town of 1,000 people, you aren't going to sell a lot of eggs to sustain yourself. But it can work in some of these larger communities. So you go to these farmers markets, and you'll see the local farmers, and they come out, and I go to those things and they're, it's interesting to talk to these people. They put a lot into it. They are just as viable as the larger groups. You know, that, the farm bill, Senator Grassley, infamously or famously, we'll find out which, voted against the farm bill. Why? Because he didn't want large corporate farmers to be getting all of these subsidies when, uh, you know, when some of the smaller farmers and the family farms could get it. We did talk with Senator Grassley, Grassley's office for this story that Molly Hunter did about family farms, and he certainly has that governmental definition that he ties himself to as well. He's a family farmer, too. The end of the year is a time when, as I noted earlier, we tend to look back at things and, and kind of take stock. 
that's certainly what you have done in looking back at the popularity in terms of web hits, in terms of uh, stories that have generated anecdotal response. What are some other stories that were done by Iowa Watch in calendar year 2018 that are worthy of another mention? And again, they are all online at iowawatch.org, so anyone can take another look. Related to this is a story about pesticide drift that we did. It was with a project called Science in the Media with the University of Northern Iowa and the Cedar Falls Tiger Highline High School newspaper. And we have talked about this on various different programs with, involving Iowa Watch. But we wanted to know what type of risk there is for schools near farm fields where there could be pesticide drift. It's not necessarily a fact that every farm sprays for pesticides, but a great deal do in Iowa. And what we found in our research was that nine out of every 10 Iowa public school buildings is within 2,000 feet of an Iowa farm field, which is close enough to get that spray drips. So we talked to administrators at a number of schools, some of them who weren't aware that there might be some sort of problem. That was a bit of a surprise to us. It was also a surprise to our reporters, many of them high school students who were trying to learn this stuff. We produced the story in June. It was a, a well-read story about pesticide drift, and it also did a good thing in this sense. It launched our curiosity into studying more into pesticide. So we have some stories coming up for 2019 that we want to do about pesticide drift, what type of issues exist in Iowa, because the number of complaints to the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Services has increased dramatically in the last few years because of pesticide drift. Why is that? Because there's this chemical called Dicamba out there that shows up in Roundup and it is a killer. It gets super weeds. It is a super killer. But if it gets super weeds, then if it's sprayed accidentally on something else, it gets them too. And that has farmers who are at the receiving end of that very upset. When people hear some of this information, as you've noted, sometimes school officials may be surprised or the reporter is surprised. The audience members may read it a second time or when they hear it on this program, listen more closely because there's a, a level of surprise that certain things are happening. What kind of feedback generally do you get to some of these stories, which may be on the radio, they may be online, they may be in newspapers large and small across the state? Interestingly, for the pesticide drift story, we heard from some researchers at a conference that we talked to about this story and the project we were doing. We heard from them that we were barking up the wrong tree. There was a little bit of fear in the room because we were talking about a big company, Monsanto, and talking about a big industry in Iowa, farming. And we were talking to researchers, many of them who work at public institutions, Iowa State and the University of Iowa, who get funding from the state, which is sensitive about Monsanto and sensitive about agriculture. So we got a little pushback about that. The nice thing about the pushback, though, was it, it gave us some ideas for other stories. One interesting thing was you shouldn't be worrying about the spray drift coming onto school grounds because it isn't happening that much, especially not as much as drift going from school grounds onto other property. And we heard that and we thought, well, that's valuable to know. So we started to go through the spray drift complaints. We haven't found uh, a big mass of complaints about 
drift going from schools to other properties. So that's what we do. We vet what people tell us. But another interesting thing was a researcher who said, and we haven't done this story yet, he, he said, you really should worry about the spraying that schools do on their own property, and then football players and soccer players and softball players and little kids go running around and roll around in this stuff. That's what you should be worried about. So that was great feedback. But the pesticide, because of the feedback that we got, that prompted us to want to look at inspection reports down in Des Moines. We spent a couple of days doing that and start lining up some more stories. But we can only do them one at a time. And I'm going to tell you, Jeff, there are plenty of stories to do about spray drift in Iowa. More with Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller in a moment as this year-end edition of the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein, and we continue the conversation now with Lyle Muller, the executive director and editor of Iowa Watch. Talk for a moment. You alluded to the fact that you can only do one at a time, and it takes a while to do these. What is the distinctive nature of an Iowa Watch story as opposed to what I'm going to call daily journalism? And that may be a term that has no real good definition, but I think in the industry we've, we find there to be a bit of a distinction. Talk about what an Iowa Watch story is as opposed to something else that they might consume. Well, first, daily journalism is okay because it keeps us abreast of what's going on from day to day in our state and in our society. But what we try to do is go past that first blush of the story and we try to dig into every angle possible. We have had a lot of stories who, that we could publish and then we could say we'll do the rest of the story in the next day and the next day and the next day which is what happens a lot with day-to-day -day journalism. But for us we want to be able to explore all of the angles in that story. That way we think that people will be able to take a look at those stories instead of at first blush, but dig deep into them, understand the issue so they can reach an informed opinion. So often we hear complaints about journalism that says, well, you didn't tell the rest of the story. Well, we're trying to tell the rest of the story. And by the way, we don't think there are two sides to the story. We think there are multiple sides of the story and they take you in different directions and how you view them depends on your background. So we go in-depth, we try to unpeel things, we try to tell things that you wouldn't know otherwise, and we also want to make sure that we're watchdogs. If there's something wrong going on, we want to be able to explain it, explain why it exists, and then put out there some potential solutions that people are trying to solve the problem. This is good journalism, but it takes time, and the reward comes when not only you actually see it on the website, but it shows up on the radio, it's in newspapers, and you get feedback from folks around the state. What are some of the other topics worthy of remembering from calendar year 2018? 
We took a good look at mental health problems, and we've done that in previous years too, but a freelancer who's done some stories for us, Cindy Haddish out of Cedar Rapids, took a look at a family that's dealing with profound mental illness, someone who's in and out of the hospital, but there isn't quite the services available to help this young son of this mother. So what happens is the son feels suicidal, gets ill, goes into the hospital, gets treated, gets released, and then the cycle continues as opposed to having uh, an institutional approach. We don't have enough beds for profound mental illness in that sense. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is this isn't someone who you look at and say, that person really needs to benefit from being institutionalized. It's someone you think might be able to exist on the outside. They just struggle with that. We also had a story about diversity issues down at the University of Iowa. University of Iowa does a good job of recruiting black and Latino students, but what happens when they get on campus? Is there anything there for them? Uh, so we not only did a story about that, we tied it in with a national report by a place called the Hetchinger Report out of New York State, and then we also held a public forum in Iowa City to explore the issue, what type of solutions exist. And then finally, there was a story about sex assault training at Iowa colleges. Is it adequate? A group of student journalists at Simpson College did research on this and talked to a lot of campuses and a lot of people and reached the conclusion that you might have this training that exists when you get to college as a freshman and it goes in one ear, out the other, and it doesn't seem to have the effect that is intended, so you still have complaints and concerns about sex assault. An interesting thing about the Simpson students is they actually went out and they talked to groups, and so we had audio of these students talking to groups of people about what the issue is. That was a good report. The students at Simpson got their grade, but we had good journalism and it got spread uh, with the Iowa Watch Connection, but also in a couple of newspapers in Iowa as well. How large is the paid staff for Iowa Watch? Because you've just in this half hour listed a body of work that could stand up with any organization. One and a half full-time people. <laughs> uh, you, thank you very much. You as a contract employee. And then we have a freelance photographer. So that's our paid staff. And the rest is all volunteers. A lot of them are students. 90% of the stories we publish are by college student journalists who had no idea that they have the ability within themselves to do this reporting. So we work with them and we sit down side by side with them and at some point they get frustrated because they thought they did it. Uh, but once we get them over that wall, they're very pleased and we're very pleased and readers respond as well. I talked to a funder about a recent story uh, and they, they thought that it was a real good example of good reporting but also a good example of deepening learning. Right? These college student journalists take themselves deeper and they learn more about themselves, they learn about journalism, and they learn about the subject. I think that is one of the fascinating things about the whole entity and the whole endeavor is the fact that this is delivering high-quality journalism, but it's also doing so with volunteers, first-timers, often students who are volunteering these efforts and the education is working at so many different levels, isn't it? It is, and, you know, Columbia Journalism Review wrote about work we do with high school student journalists, and we try to do a project every year with high school student journalists. And the thing that I appreciated that Columbia Journalism Review pointed out was that 
the interesting thing we're doing with these students is we're instructing them, but instruction's not getting in the way of their learning. So they're learning by doing. We're not a lab, but we're doing real journalism. So you can't turn things in and get a C or a B or an A. You have to turn something in that has to be complete and publishable. Folks who have been kind enough to listen to this program in the last few months have heard us talk about something called Newsmatch. I don't think we have actually talked on the program in detail about what it is, so let's close with one more mention about Newsmatch because come uh, Monday the 31st, uh, that is the deadline. So one final reminder. Until Monday, any dollar that is donated to iowawatch.org, and we are a nonprofit 501c3 charity, every dollar will be matched by a national organization called the Newsmatch Fund for Miami. Anyway, they will contribute and double everything that is donated to Iowa Watch. So we're appreciative of that. We can reach up to $25,000. All of this money goes to journalism. We are a lean operation. Our existence is to produce journalism and train students, and that's where every dollar goes. So iowawatch.org, we have a donate button. You can go there. Every dollar donated to iowawatch.org will be matched by a national news match organization. And that is through December 31st. Well, another year down. Congratulations on another good body of work in another calendar year. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the work you've done with the Iowa Watch Connection. Our 13-week experimental radio program is now four and a half years old. Indeed so. Lyle Muller, Executive Director and Editor of Iowa Watch. And that brings us to the close of this week's program and to the close of this year, 2018. We're happy to say we'll be back again next week at this same time in a brand new year, 2019. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week and next year. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.